appreciate it. Ooh, this is a tall one here. <laughs> well, my wife told me, she says, now, you're not going to be speaking to a bunch of prisoners, so they can get up and walk out on you, okay? <laughs> so I hope none of you do that this morning. But, you know, God's been so good to me and, and uh, just blessed me with the prison ministry. He's been in it 28 years. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, I remember Brother Mark came to me the first or last month and asked me if I'd come up. And so I made reservations to come up uh, for October the 9th. And I was thinking on those reservations, and I thought about 65 years ago, I made reservations for heaven. And heaven would be my home, and I'm looking forward to it. And so I'd just like to say I just stopped by on my way home. Okay, just to visit with you a little bit. Amen. Well, I think back about a trip that we had to uh, Peru uh, back in 2001. We had an evangelistic team and, and a medical team, and we we're heading into the terrorist prisons there in, uh, in, in Peru. We got off the plane about 1 o'clock in the morning, and we're driving down a, a boulevard that was about 100 foot wide in the middle. The medium was nothing but dirt. There's very low lighting, and about 1 o'clock, and we looked out there in the middle of that medium, and here's two guys just a fighting it out, rolling around that dust and dirt. And there wasn't nobody gathered around watching, but a bunch of dogs watching these humans <laughs> fight like they do, you know. I just, uh, somebody said, you know, those poor boys, uh, somebody's got to get them in church. Yeah. Well, that stuck with me for a while, and not long back I heard a song, and it said, who's going to tell them? And that's important, isn't it? Who's going to tell them that Jesus loves them? Who's going to tell them there's another way? You know, Christ came to rescue the lost, the sinners, people like you and I. I remember the day. Amen? I mean, you know, people say, how do you know you're saved? Well, I was there when it happened. I know all about it. Amen. He changed my life. Well, you know, a lot of people that... Uh, in our churches today, you don't mind, I'll just kind of step around here a little bit. This thing's intimidating. <laughs> so big, you know. But anyway, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that, that are, don't witness. They're afraid to witness. And so I just want to give you some, I think that uh, in the book of Romans, Paul writes about some qualifications to become a witness for the Lord. Let me just have a word of prayer. Precious Lord God, we want to thank you for this opportunity. Unworthy, but Lord, I pray that you'd put your words in my mouth and help me to paint a picture of the glory of you and the charge of salvation to others, God. Help us to be witnesses for you, Lord. I believe you're standing in the wings, uh, waiting to step out on the stage any moment. And God, we've got to be busy. There's people around us dying and going to hell and on our watch. And, Lord, let, let that be put to our account, God. Help us to be bold about it. And, Lord, we ask this in thy name. Amen. Well, here in the first, uh, first chapter of, uh, of Romans, Paul sets out, I believe, three qualifications that we need to be a soul winner for Christ. And in the 14th verse, it says, I'm a debtor both to the Greek and to the barbarian both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation <clears throat> to the Jews and first and also to the Greeks. He says, I'm a debtor. I believe that's one of the most important things is to realize that you're a debtor. I know that I'm a debtor. See, I was 24 years a drug addict, and Christ stepped into my world. He knew where I was at, but still he came. Now, that's amazing. There was a lady up in Tennessee who told me I was, I, I told you I was 65 years ago. Well, I got saved when I was 12 years old. I got saved. I knew what sin was. When I turned 16, I wanted to know what sin was. I wanted to experience. I had never experienced. I grew up thinking that if you took one drink of whiskey, you'd drop over dead. You know, that's the way Mama put it, you know. And if you did anything wrong, you're just going to die, you know. Well, people weren't dying, and I knew they were doing sin, and so I started to dabble in it. You don't dabble in sin. You know, Moses says he enjoyed the pleasures of sin for a season. Well, I got into it, and I started with coca- I started with with marijuana, just uh, just you think it's just a simple little drug. Well, I know there's a lot of boating going on about getting this thing legalized. And, and medicinally, I, I can't argue that point with anybody. But I'm going to tell you that that's a gateway drug. Yeah. What happens is when you get high, that feeling of it for you that you have, you want to have it more. And you want to have it more intense. And you want it to get going. And so what you do is you go to something better. You know, they all, the old saying is you can't step on a high. Once you get high, it's, you're high. You can't keep stepping on it, but that's what you do. And so pretty soon you start doing harder drugs and harder drugs. And, and so people ask me one time, and says, what was your drug? And I said, well, what do you got? You know, it didn't matter to me. You know, whatever you got, let's do it, you know. And so I was living a pretty rugged, uh, rough life, and I was in Tennessee, and a, a, a lady up in Tennessee said to me one day, she said, Ken, why don't you come go to church with me? And I said, Man, I, you know, the church fall in if I went to church, you know. And she said, what are you going to do about Jesus? Now, I'm telling you what, that's the most powerful words I'd ever heard. And I use it today in my ministry. What are you going to do about Jesus? You get him to a certain point, and then you ask him, what are you going to do about it? And you've got to shut up and let them answer that question. Well, I was in a jail, in, in the city jail in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I was sitting in a tank getting ready to be processed in. And I looked around at the men that were in there, and I'm not saying that I'm better than anybody in this room, but I knew I was better than where I was at. And I knew that God had more for me than what I had settled for. And so I remembered what that lady had said. What are you going to do? And I decided right then what I was going to do. And you know, in Hosea, he says, and I will forgive their backsliding and love them freely. Amen. And you know what? He was right there when I called him. He had never left me. In the book of Psalms, in the sixth chapter, uh, the, uh, the, thir- the, the 13th verse, it says, that I sh- and that he hath dealt bountifully with me. And that word hath, that's a very interesting word. Sometimes you'll see shall or, or will. Hath is a word that covers both ends of that. Somebody said it's a past and a present participle. In other words, when I was sinning, he was still being bountiful and merciful to me. He could have knocked me in the head right then, but he didn't because he had a purpose for me. Well, 
So Paul says that I'm a debtor. And by golly, I'm a debtor. I owe him so much more than what I give him. I'm just blessed that he decided to use me. Now here's just an old drug addict that's traveling around the world, going in prisons all over and teaching people about Jesus. You know? I mean, I ain't got no money. I got a nice little home. But, uh, and I've got a car, you know, but I ain't got a lot of money to go traveling everywhere. God supplies it. Now, in our ministry, we don't use any ministry from our support for ourselves. It is all used for Bibles, literature, and, trans- and, and for uh, shipping cost. That's all it's used for. Every once in a while, we'll give somebody with a great need, we'll give them a love offering out of that. But God has supplied me the money to go to these places. You know, supplied the money that every once in a while we could ask. I asked Brother Mark to go with us one time down to Peru. And uh, Brother David went down, I think, a couple of times with us. Uh, but, you know, God, God just supplies it, you know. And so the question asked, uh, how can I be a soul winner? Well, you have a debt. You have a debt that you owe your Savior. And there's no greater thrill that will come in your life. I remember the first time I got to lead somebody to the Lord. It was just, it was rocket. I just got, it just got all over me, you know. Uh, I remember the saying, you know, it's like a sneeze. You just can't keep it inside, you know. And boy, I'll tell you, I was busting out. I had a cousin got saved, and, and he was talking about how excited he was when he got saved. Man, he said, you know, Sunday's coming, and I'm going to get to church. I can't wait to get to church, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to bust out when I get to church. He said he got the church, threw the doors open, and all these people in there with the long faces on them. Everybody looked like somebody's at a funeral instead of at church. Amen. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm a debtor. I'm a debtor to Christ. But you know something else it says here? Paul says that I'm ready. Amen. Hey, when you get saved, when God jerks you out of that dirty, rotten hole that you're in, the creator of the universe kicks that dirty, rotten, double-dog, lying devil out of your life, you're ready. I'm ready. I'm telling you the opportunity. My, I have, when I pray, I try to say every day at the end of the day, did I make it count? Did I make it count? And I ask God when I get up in the morning, Lord, give me one more. <clears throat> Just give me one more that I can tell the wonderful story. The story that changed my life, that changes your life. We have a great opportunity here. I'm telling you, we're in the closing days of this world. I believe that. I believe it's going to happen at any moment. And the opportunities are unbelievable. People are walking by us that are on their way to hell, rubbing elbows with us. We're, t- we're talking to them at the checkout line. We're paying for our gas. With- and these people don't know Christ. And we got to ask them, what does it hurt if you ask somebody? What's it going to cost? What, I mean, what's it going to do to you? If they say, yeah, you say, hallelujah, glory, God. What if they say no? Now, I'll tell you what they're doing nowadays. What they're doing nowadays, and they're saying, oh, yeah. Yeah. And they're just brushing you off. And they know what to say. Well, really, you're saying what church you go to? Well, I, let's see, the church is, uh, they don't even know what church to go to. You know, people are just brushing off. This last week down in, in Cuba, one of the first things that stood out in my mind, if you walk up to somebody and you ask them if they know Jesus Christ, their personal Savior, they say yes or they say no. There ain't no in-between about it. And I'm telling you what, there, we had uh, 658 professions of faith down there. We had uh, 19 in our team. Uh, we had 50 
uh, Cuban missionaries that came to help us, and we worked in a little small town, and uh, the, it was amazing what God did. And the thing about it down there is, is that you have Catholicism, that most of them have been born into Catholicism, kind of like Islam, you know, been born into it. One lady broke my heart. She cried and cried and cried because she did not want to give up her idols. And that's what she called them. She called them idols. She didn't want to give them up. Now, I was down there two years ago, and the lady got saved, and her sister got up and got a pillowcase and went around and started putting those things in a pillowcase and took them out back. <laughs> I said, hallelujah to God. Amen. So, you know, we're debtors to him because of what he did to us, and, and so we have to be ready at every moment. Every moment we have to be ready to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. You know, this, this thing about being a Christian is just not Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. It's just not those three days. It's every day of the week. You know, we, we have to be proactive about this. Now, here's the part. When you're ready and you know you're a debtor, I'm not ashamed. And I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, to tell somebody the wonderful story of the thing that changed me from what I was into what I am. And I'll tell you, I've got me a home in heaven on the corner of Miracle Lane in Hallelujah Square. Amen. Amen. And I'm going there one day. But I'll tell you what, when I go there, I want to take some people with me. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Well, you, you get on over here. Let's go back to the book of Mark, okay? Let's go back to the book of Mark and... Here in the, in the fifth chapter of Mark, preceding, we have the story of Christ and the disciples were out in the sea and we have the storm that came. You all know the story. You know, it says that there were other ships with him. So other people were involved in this. Thank you so much. So other people were involved in this, this storm that was out there in, in the calming of the sea. You know, you just don't have to be a disciple of Christ. <laughs> Amen. I'm so glad that I was in one of the mother boats. <laughs> Amen. That I was out there and I got the blessings. And I got what everybody else got. So here he is. He's come to the shores of the Gadarenes. And, and here's this madman. And you know the story of the madman that lived in the tombs. And he was bound in fetters. And, and he was breaking them. And, but you know, here in the sixth verse it says, But when he saw Jesus afar off what is it about this man jesus you know this i mean he these people are leaving their uh, their their tax jobs and they're leaving their ships and they're they're leaving and they're just stumbling around the middle east with this man named jesus what is it about this man named jesus and so when he saw him he knew immediately who he was and he ran to him he ran to him the, 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 the woman with the issue, she just reached out to him. Huh? The blind man, he just called out to him. Right? Zacchaeus, he sought him. The leopard came to him. And here this madman runs to him. He runs to him. And Jesus, you know the story of what happens here. He gets the demons out of him. And the demons jump in the pigs. And the pigs run, jump in the water. So Jesus is getting ready to leave now. And here in the, in the 18th verse, in the 5th chapter, And when he was coming to the ship, he that was possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit, Jesus suffered him not 
but said unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion upon him. Wait a minute, Jesus. I don't know nothing about this. You want me to go tell somebody about it? You know, I don't know anything about, uh, you know, I, I don't even know who these other 12 guys are with you, you know? He said, I don't know nothing about the Bible. I don't know nothing about your ministry. What am I going to be able to, t-? you know, the doctrine of justification? I don't know any of this stuff. What am I going to do? He said, go tell them. Go tell them what I did to you. Go tell them what Jesus did for you. I don't mind standing up in prisons and telling these people what God has saved me from. You know, I I don't brag on the fact of the sinful life that I live, but I use it to be able to reach these people and tell them what God did. You know, a Muslim, you cannot argue the Bible with a Muslim because they don't believe the Bible. What you tell them is what he did for you. Amen? And so this man is standing there and he says, "I, I don't know what to do. I'm not qualified. It's kind of like the the man on the cross. You've heard Alistair Begg tell the story about the man man in the middle, you know? He gets to heaven and they tell him that, you know, what are you doing up here? And he says, I don't know. And he says, well, uh, what what church do you belong to? I don't don't belong to church. Well, uh, do you know anything about the doctrines of justification or anything like that? He says, no. He said, well, let me go get my supervisor. And the supervisor comes back and he says, well, wait a minute. He said, have you been baptized? He says, no. He said, well, what are you doing up here? He said, the man in the middle told me to come up here. Amen. So this man's going back to these people, these ones that have put, thrown him in the, in the tombs and have chained him up. He's going back to these same people, and he's going to witness to these people and tell them what Christ has done for them. And so I can just, I'm just picturing him. He's, he comes into town, and they say, wait a minute. You're that crazy guy that's locked up in the tomb. He said, oh, no, 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 wait a minute. You weren't there when this happened to me. You weren't there. You don't know what this man did for me. You just don't know who this man is that cleansed me, took the chains that I was bound by, delivered me from the drugs that I was involved in, delivered me from alcoholism or from fornication, Ah, uh, the words slipped my mind. Nasty, filthy books, okay? He's delivered me from those things. You don't know. I mean, you weren't even there. But I'm telling you, when Christ moves in and he touches your hearts and those chains are broken, there's a desire in you to tell somebody. And I want to tell you, I'm a debtor to this man. I am a debtor to him, and I'm ready to tell you about it, and I'm not ashamed of what I'm going to tell you. Amen. Amen. I'm going to tell you that Jesus Christ is the one that can change your life forever. Look at me. You know, I once was in the tombs, naked, and here I am clothed, and I'm in my right mind. You know, and I'm telling you what he did for me. There's nothing you guys could do for me. You didn't even want to try to do anything for me. You just wanted to lock me up and throw me away. He said, but I'm telling you, this man came, and when I saw him, I knew who he was. I heard a a song a long time ago about Lazarus. When he died, here he is, and he's down there in the heart of the earth, and here's Moses, and here's 
Abraham, and here's Samson, and all the saints are there, you know. And they're all sitting around talking about how they knew this, this Lord. Samson says, well, I, he gave me the jawbone of an ass. And he says, I cleaned house with it. I took care of business with this thing. And Moses says, well, now, he took me through the desert. I don't know what it was. I mean, 40, days, 40 years were stumbling in the desert, and he provided water, and, and he provided food for us every day. And Abraham says, look, I'm telling you, I'm, I was getting ready to stab that boy. I was going to stab him, and I turned and looked, and here's a ram in the thicket. And he says, but Lazarus stood up and says, wait a minute. I knew him in a different way. See, me and him, he'd been over to my house for supper. Me and him used to walk around together. Well, it was about the time that he's testifying that he hears this voice saying, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus says, I'll be back in a little bit. <laughs> he says, I've got to go. You know what I mean? But so this man, is, he's coming to this town, and, and, and he's walking, living proof of what God can do to you. You know, I, I, I'm not, I'm nothing to look at, you know. Uh, there's nothing in me that makes me of any good at all. Uh, but I want to look different than the world. I want to be a little different than the world. Uh, and I'm, I'm proud to be a Christian. I pray that you all are too. And if we're proud to be a Christian, how many people say, go Alabama, go Alabama, you know. But how many people are standing up saying, go, God, go, you know? How many people are cheering for that? They did pull it off, didn't they? <laughs> I was wondering there for a little bit whether they are going to make it or not. But anyway. Uh, so I want to be uh, ready to share the gospel. I want to let them know that I'm not ashamed to share the gospel. Uh, one of the ladies that we got to witness to down there in, in Cuba, uh, she lived in... Now, these people, we, we were working in a town that was, I would say, like the slums. But we went to the ghetto, which was the squatters that had come in and built around this city. And they had just thrown whatever they could together. And uh, she lived in a house, literally, that was leaning like this. And... Uh, we went in and, and was witnessing to her, and, and she says, oh, yes, I know Jesus Christ. And I said, well, hallelujah, you know. And she says, uh, I also sing in my church. And I said, well, sing us a song. This is all in Spanish. And she sang, I'm perfume at thy feet. And I'm telling you, if it had have been the choir, it couldn't have been any better. Just, it just rocked my world at that moment. And uh so we were getting ready to leave, and we walked out of her house, and a man came out of his house from across the little lane there, and he came over, and he says, I don't know Jesus, and I know that you all are witnessing here in this area, and I want to know some more about it. <laughs> I said, well, brother, let's just have a seat down right here and talk about Jesus. And we did, and, and uh, he prayed a sinner's prayer that's just special. Uh, we went into another house, and a lady was there, and my friend was leading her to the Lord. And the interpreter was handing her a paper that had the sinner's prayer written on it. 
And my friend would grab it out of her hand. He said, I don't want to hear you read it. I don't want to hear something memorized. I want to hear what you've got to say. And uh, so he had to get her back to a certain point and got her there. And she was ready. And that girl handed her that paper again. And he took it out of her hand and slapped her on the knee with it and said, no, I want to hear you pray the prayer. And she prayed a sinner's prayer and asked God to come into her life and save her. And we just had a, it was just one of those mission trips that you get to go on once in a while. If you've never been on a mission trip, let me tell you, it'll revolutionize your life. It will change you completely. The deacon that went with us had never been to the mission field. Now, my suggestion to any pastors is if the opportunity comes, you send your deacons to the mission field. Amen. You send your deacons to the mission field. But uh, he went, and I'm telling you what, he got on fire for the Lord. The first day that I, the first time I came to the mission field, I came home, and it's one o'clock in the morning, and my wife asked me when I walked in the door, well, we went to uh, Tegucigalpa, Honduras, and my wife asked me when we walked in the door, she said, well, how did it go? And it took me about two hours to get my composure to tell her how it went. It just, uh, it still breaks my heart, and I don't mind having a tender heart, you know? I remember when I was in the world at you know, if you ever cried, you're just, you're just nothing but a sissy. Yeah. I don't mind crying for my Lord. Amen. I don't want to ever get over that. I don't ever want to get over what he did for me and how he changed my life. He was so good to me. Well, that's pretty much my message to you. <clears throat> but let me say that over the years of being in prison ministries and I told you how we operate with our finances, and uh, you know, if anybody gets involved in our ministry, the first thing I tell them is what we're going to do with their money is we're going to spend it. We don't sit on it and wait for the Lord to come back. Amen. We put it out in the field and get it to work. But over the years now, I've been able to be in the presence. He talked about uh, Vandersloot. I remember one time I was talking to a, a prisoner in, in uh, Tarma. Uh, Honduras and we were in the kitchen area and I was talking to this gentleman and somebody walked up and says hey pastor and he turned and looked at him and I thought well I've I've met some preachers in in prison or prison preachers but anyway uh, so he answered and when he came back to me I said are are you a preacher and he says no and I said well he called you pastor and they said well they call me pastor because I've killed three pastors and I said, well, that's pretty interesting, you know. Uh, but what it was, he killed them because they were, they were priest. That's what they called him. They called him preach, uh, priest, not pastor, priest. He killed them because uh, uh, they were preaching uh, lies to the people. I can't condone that, but, you know. <laughs> Talked to another man, and he'd been in prison for killing 10 people. He walked up to the money changers on the street, and he, at first he would just rob them and take the money and run. Well, he said, that running got old. He said, so I just go up and shoot them and take their money. And he said, I killed 10 of them and, uh, uh, to get my kids through college. You know, it, you think, think things are normal until you meet people like this. But, you know, they're all around us. They're all around us. You know, we, we go, like we went down to uh, Cuba, we, we went down there. That's not prison ministry. But we went down there 
to uh, preventative maintenance. You know, do you understand what I'm saying? You know, get them into Christ, and maybe they won't end up in the prisons. And it's not that I want to get out of the prison work, but, you know, I don't want to see people in there. And the people that are in there, I don't, I'm, not for, I'm not for prison reform. In fact, I wish we'd go back to the Old Testament, and that's the way it'd be, you know. Restitution, corporal punishment, or death. That's the three. So far, I don't know how many laws that we have to cover crime now. It's just unbelievable. But I'm not for people getting reformed. I think they ought to be in jail a lot longer than they are. I think they need to work the streets, the, the, the roads. And I think they don't need a TV in their, in their room. They don't need any outside communication. I believe they need to be punished. Amen? Now, there's innocent people in there, and God's going to sort all that out. Okay? God's going to take care of that. All right? Don't you worry about that. God's going to take care of it. But these people, as, 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 as society sees them as the worst of the worst, are the very ones that need to know the Lord. Every human needs to know the Lord. But I'm telling you, I have a heart for prisoners that are locked up and drawn away from their families and drawn away from society, and they need to know God. There's no other. When I was in jail... And I asked God to save me, to rescue me, and he did. I didn't get out. You know? Well, you ask Jesus in your heart, and then you're going to get out. You know, that's not why I did it. I'll tell you what, though. I ask prisoners, and tell them, and say, look, when's the last time you got a letter from your friends? Or when's the last time they called you? Oh, when you get out, they're going to say, oh, yeah, I called you. I tried to get a hold of you. I tried to come down. They wouldn't let me in, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's just lies, you know. But I'm telling you, when I was in jail, I got a letter every time I opened this book. I got a letter from home. <laughs> Amen. And Jesus told me what I needed to do with my life. I came to Laurel, Mississippi. One of the best things you can do if you're trying to get away from a, a bad lifestyle is change your location. You can't hang with the dogs and not get fleas, Okay. So I, I went down to Laurel, Mississippi, and uh, I was uh, in my late 30s, and I had to go to my parents' house. Uh, I had no place to go at the time. And uh, that's where I met my wife, Lou Rustin. And uh, I can remember we went to the city park, and she had been away for a little bit, and she came back, and I told her, I says, you know, I, uh, I sure missed you. And she says, well, Why? You know, I opened it up that time. <laughs> and I said, well, you know. She said, no, I don't know. She said, why did you miss me? And I said, well, you know why I missed you. She said, no, why did you miss me? And that's where she forced me to tell her that I loved her. <laughs> and I, I still do. I, I love her. She's the love of my life. God has blessed me. See, he took that life. He took that money that I spent on cocaine, and he paid our house off. You know, he took the money that I was spending on heroin and alcohol, and he put groceries on our table. He took the times that I took spending the road, just running from relationship to relationship, telling women whatever they wanted to hear. I didn't know what it meant to love somebody until I met the lover of my soul. And, uh, and so he gave me a wonderful wife, and it's been 38 years, 
It's just getting sweeter and sweeter and better and better every day. But I, I want to encourage you as fellow Christians, tell somebody. Just ask God when you get up in the morning, Lord, just give me one more. Just give me one more that I can share what you have done for me. Don't worry about memorizing. I think you ought to. You need to get this book in your heart. But don't worry about, I've got to have all these scriptures before I can witness to somebody. You don't have to have that. You don't have to. You can say, the Bible says, and you don't have to quote it exactly. It's good to do it, though. I'm not trying to get you out of that. You get this book and put it in your heart. But tell somebody how great a Savior Jesus Christ is. He's the most wonderful thing that ever happened to me. And I pray that each Christian in here can say the same thing. It's the best thing that ever happened to me was the day that I let Jesus into my heart. What are you going to do about Jesus? Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Brother Mark. Just, uh, Kevin, I'm sorry. I'm looking at him. (laughs) Thank you so much for letting me be here. It was just a blessing. God bless you all.